Thank you, Kathy. You're no longer in charge of marketing. Uh, we are in the middle of a series. By the way, my name is Derek. Welcome again. If you're new especially, I'd love to meet you. We're in the middle of a series on the fruits of the Spirit, and today we're going to talk about kindness. And uh, we're going to see kindness displayed kind of like we did last uh, Sunday in a narrative in the Old Testament. We get to see actually King David, who will lay the pattern for the Messiah, for Jesus Christ, show us what it means to be kind. And friends, he'll show us what it means for God to be kind to us. So if you've ever just wondered, uh, does God love me even when I don't feel very lovable? I think this passage is going to be a really helpful one to answer that question this morning. So if you'll open your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 9, I'm going to actually read the entire chapter. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along or you can follow along on the screen above. Excuse me. And David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? Ziba said to the king, He's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent, and he brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage, and he said, What is your servant that you should show regard for such a dead dog as I? And then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and he said to him, All that belong to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. And all your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to have your word before us this morning. Uh, We're grateful that your Holy Spirit is at work so that we can understand it. And we ask your spirit to go to work in our hearts, soften us, open our eyes and our ears, that we may come to know you more fully. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you've heard the phrase, um, killing them with kindness. In 2019, I read a story that the police actually came to someone's house. They had gotten a call uh, because the neighbors 
had complained that this guy was yelling and screaming, lots of noise coming to his house, coming from his house, and the neighbors actually came over to kind of tell him to tone it down, and this guy came out of his house wielding a machete. In fact, actually cut one of his neighbor's hands. But as he raised the machete against his neighbors, they saw that written on the side of the machete that the machete actually had a name. It said, kindness. I'm not sure he totally understood that phrase. So what is kindness? It's not the name of a weapon, by the way. What is kindness? Well, the word that we actually have here in front of us in English is a translation of a really important Hebrew word. It's a word we've talked about before. It's the word hesed. I will not say it with the Hebrew chesed. Okay, there you have it that one time, so you know that I can do it. Hesed, though, is a super important word in the Old Testament. It's one of those words that just has this incredible broad range of meaning. You may see it translated as loving kindness or steadfast love. It was that word in Psalm 118 that we recited over and over in our call to worship. Sometimes it's covenant faithfulness or loyalty. It's one of those words that just has so much weight that it carries so much meaning with it that we can't even translate it with one English word. We have to come up with five or six different words to try and describe this word. But in this passage, I think what's at the heart of what kindness is, of what hesed is here, is this definition. And we could put it on the screen so we can read it. Is that kindness is free and unmerited acts of love toward another person, especially toward someone in need. Free, unmerited acts of love toward another person, especially toward another person who is in need. And what we have here in that passage that I just read is a wonderful description of that kind of kindness acted by David David on Mephibosheth. But it is more than that. It is a beautiful description of the kind of kindness and love that God shows to us in Christ. It is the beautiful description of the way in which God himself is kind and the kindness that he has shown to us. Let me just say, if, if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, or you're not sure if you're a Christian, or if you grew up thinking, you know, the way that I get God to love me is that I do stuff, I'm active for him, and, you know, he loves me when I'm active, and he kind of, you know, he, uh, he's okay with me when I'm not. Listen, if that's your understanding of who God is, this passage is going to radically reshape your understanding of Jesus because his love and mercy, his kindness toward us is unending. So we're going to look at it three ways this morning. We're going to talk first about God's kindness to the weak, and then God's kindness toward his enemies, and then we'll see God's commitment to kindness. So God is kind to the weak, God is kind to his enemies, and God is committed to kindness. So first of all, what do we mean by God's kindness to the weak? Well, let's look at this guy, Mephibosheth, who I know was at the top of everybody's baby name list. Uh, it's a solid one. Mephibosheth, just a little background about who he is. We're told he's the son of Jonathan, but if you're not familiar with this story, Jonathan is the son of Saul, who was the king before David. In fact, he was David's rival. He was the king who tried multiple times to kill David. And Jonathan, his son, was David's best friend. And so Mephibosheth is the grandson of the former king and the son of David's best friend, Jonathan. And you might think, if you're the grandson of the former king, if you've got this royal lineage, if you've got this royal blood, surely you have some sort of importance, right? 
But really, we find that Mephibosheth is kind of hidden away in a no-name town, really doing nothing. In fact, as you open up this story, you kind of get the feeling that nobody really knows who he is. He's not making much of an impact on the society. And then we're told, not once but twice, that he's lame in both of his feet. It's almost like that bracket's actually the story we're told at the beginning and at the end. Now, why would the author go to great lengths to say that twice, to bracket the story by telling us that he's lame? Well, the answer is that he wouldn't have been all that useful. Now, that feels really weird to us, doesn't it, to say that, to think about a person and think usefulness is a weird way to talk about people. But in the ancient world, that's really how they might have thought, especially about somebody with royal blood, is that there were the useful people and there were the not-so-useful people. And so there were those who, this is what happened to Mephibosheth, is he actually fell and hurt himself when he was a child. And in those days, if you broke your feet when you were a child, you just grew up with broken feet. They just didn't really heal right. And so he grows up, and he's a man now, but he's not really all that useful. He's not a warrior like David or like Jonathan, his father. He's not a statesman with this political power and influence on society like maybe his grandfather was. He's just a guy that nobody really knows about, and he's out in the middle of nowhere, and what's more is that he is physically broken in some way. But isn't it beautiful that David says, I'm not going to set my affection on somebody who is going to be wonderfully useful to me, but I'm actually going to set my affection on the weak. Just sit in that for a second. David says very specifically, he chooses this particular person. I'm going to show mercy and kindness. I'm going to set my affection on this young man who really doesn't have a lot of usefulness to me. Of course, David sets the pattern, doesn't he, for the Messiah who is to come. The Messiah, the Christ, is the anointed one in the line of David. So we have David here setting the pattern for who Jesus will be. And what does Isaiah actually tell us about the Messiah? We get this in Isaiah 45. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The Messiah is actually going to be somebody who moves toward the physically broken, the lame, the mute, the weak, the useless. And then we read this about what Jesus actually did in His ministry. Listen to Matthew 15. Jesus went on from there, and He walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And He went up on the mountain, and He sat down there, and great crowds came to Him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at His feet, and He healed them so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled healthy and the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Jesus loves to move toward people that we oftentimes think are pretty useless. And let me just say this even more pointedly, is that if you are feeling really useless before the Lord right now, you need to hear me say this, He loves you at your worst. The Lord loves you in the times where you feel the least usable. The Lord sets His affection on you even when you're not doing all the stuff. Again, 
it can creep into our minds this terrible idea that, yeah, God loves me when I'm really active, but He kind of just tolerates me when I'm not. Friends, if you're feeling that way, listen to these words said to you. Do not fear. I will show you kindness. You have an inheritance. You are welcome at my table. That is what Jesus says to His children. God is kind to the weak. Let's move to the second point. God is also kind to His enemies. Now, it's odd maybe that we think about that. If you're not familiar again with Mephibosheth, let me remind you again who he is. He's the grandson of the former king. And if you are a former king in those days, you are automatically the enemy of the new king. Uh, I learned a little something a few years ago about lions. This is how lions kind of work, is that if you're a young male lion, you typically get kicked out of the pride right about the time you're coming of age. So once you're weaned and kind of ready to stand on your own, you will get kicked out of your current pride and sent really to wander around. And those lions that actually live through that and find another pride will have to join that pride by fighting the other male lion in that pride. And if they win that fight, if they either kill or expel that other male lion, the second thing that they will do is that they will set off to kill all of the children of that other male lion. There can be no rivals for a lion. That's, that is the way of lions. It's the way of people too, isn't it? Hampton and I watched, uh, stayed up way too late, by the way, the other night watching The Godfather Part Two, which is just a glorious movie. If you've seen it, you know uh, it tells two stories at once. It's telling the backstory of Vito Corleone. He's the godfather in the first one, and the continuing story of Michael Corleone. And the movie opens, and the opening scene is showing Vito when he's very young. He lives in Sicily. His father has just been killed by the local mafia boss for kind of standing up to him. And we actually open the scene on a, a funeral procession. And so you have uh, his mother and young Vito walking along behind the casket in this funeral procession. And he's got an older brother as well who has vowed actually revenge against the mob boss and fled into the hills. But in the middle of the funeral procession, you hear a gunshot and a cry out that that older brother has been killed. So the mob boss has killed not only the father, but now the older brother as well. And so Vito's mother, with no other options left, takes her young son, and she goes to plead for mercy in front of this mafia boss, and she says, my son is young. He's nine years old. He's not going to be any kind of threat to you. Look, he doesn't even speak very well. He's young. He's not a threat. Please have mercy on us. And, and the mafia boss says this. He says, yeah, he's young now, but he'll grow up to be a man, and then he'll come and take his revenge because that is the way of people. It's even the way of kings in the Old Testament. I'm going to read you this from 1 Kings 15. Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel, and Basha, the son of Ahijah, conspired against him. And so Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned in his place. And listen to this. And as soon as he was king... He killed all the house of Jeroboam. He left to the house of Jeroboam not one that breathed until he had destroyed it. 
Friends, that is not a mafia boss or a pagan king. That is one of the kings of Israel. That is the way that things were done in that day. And so it is amazing, actually, to see David acting in a different way. I mean, it's the way things are done still, isn't it? If you are an assistant coach on some sort of sports team and the head coach gets fired, you need to call a realtor because typically the new coach is going to come in and clean house and hire all of his own guys. That's just the way it works. But what David does is amazing, right? He looks at this person who should be his enemy, who should be his rival, and he says, do not fear. Mephibosheth knows what's going on. It's why he falls down and, and, and on his face in front of David. He knows it's probably time for him to die. And David says, don't fear. Not only am I not going to kill you, I'm going to actually give you the lands that, by the way, probably would have at that point been David's. And I'm going to give you this inheritance, and I'm going to welcome you to my table, and I'm going to treat you not like an enemy, but I'm going to treat you like one of my sons. You get to eat at the table of the king. And friends, that is the way that Jesus treats us. We were his enemies. Listen to these wonderful words from Romans chapter 5. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. It is one of the things that the Bible shouts in the Old Testament. You were an enemy of God and you have been reconciled to him. It's like Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, do not fear. I'm going to show my kindness to you. I'm going to give you an inheritance in my kingdom. You're welcome to come and eat at my table. You're treated like one of my sons. Isn't that beautiful? God is kind to his enemies. Third thing, God is not only kind to the weak and to his enemies, but he is actually committed to kindness. God is committed to this. There's a wonderful phrase in verse 1 and in verse 7 again. We read this, is that, is that David said, Is there not someone I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? He says it to Mephibosheth as well. He said, I'm going to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Now, what's going on there? Well, what's going on is that David had actually made a promise to Jonathan, Jonathan a covenant. David had committed himself to Jonathan before he died, saying, I'm going to love your family, your descendants forever. I am committed to this bond between you and I, and it will actually continue even through your descendants. And so David is acting out his covenant promises to Jonathan that he is bound by. And what does his acting out of that covenant promise cause him to do? It causes him to seek out somebody to be kind to. Isn't this amazing how this story starts? It's like David's just sitting around watching TV and thinking, who can I be kind to today? Is there somebody out there that I can be kind to? Is there someone out there that I can show the kindness of God to? Go find him for me. Go look for somebody and bring him here so that I can love him and be kind to him. Isn't that incredible? It is the exact opposite, by the way, of the kind of stories that we usually love. I mean, don't we love a revenge story? They're all over our movies and our books. 
I, I don't even know which one it is that just came out. Is it John Wick 5, 4, I, something like that? Listen, let me just save you the, the money. I know what it's about, okay? John Wick is mad because somebody took his stuff, and so he kills like 7,000 people. That's the movie. You don't even need to see it anymore. But it's the same movie that we've seen all the time, right? It's the same story. I mean, that's The Princess Bride is a revenge story. The Count of Monte Cristo is a revenge story. Hamlet is a revenge story. The Iliad is a revenge story. It goes back pretty far because we love a revenge story. I mean, I wish I could say it in his amazing accent, but, you know, that wonderful speech from Taken that Liam Neeson gives us, he says this, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money, but what I do have are a very particular set of skills, skills I have acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you, I will find you, and I will kill you. And we jump up and cheer for that kind of phrase. But friends, do you know what kind of story God loves? He loves the kind of story that we see here in 2 Samuel 9. I will look for you, I will find you, and I will love you. I will search for you, I will seek you out, I will hunt you down so that I can be merciful to you, so that I can show you my kindness. There's a great children's book. Maybe some of you have read this to your kids called The Runaway Bunny. And this is the storyline, right? This young bunny kind of decides he wants to test his mother's love or patience, and he decides, I'm going to run away. And he proclaims it, I'm running away. And the bunny says this, or the mother says this, if you run away, I will run after you because you are my little bunny. And he says, if you run after me, I'll become a fish in a trout stream, and I'll swim away from you. And the mother says, if you become a fish in a trout stream, I'll become a fisherman, and I will fish for you. And then he keeps coming up with things to be, thinking he can escape from his mother. I'll be a rock in a on a mountain. And she says, well, I'll become a mountain climber, and I'll track you down. And he says, oh, well, then I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll be a, a bird, right? And she says, well, I'll be the tree for you to land in to give you a home. And he says, I'll be a sailboat and I'll sail all the way. And she says, well, then I'll be the wind and I will stop you. And it's this beautiful phrase over and over that I'm going to come and find you. I'm going to track you down and I will not stop because I'm committed to kindness toward you. Friends, this is the way that God's character is. <laughs> he thinks, who is it that I can show kindness to? How can I be kind to Sally today? How can I show my kindness to Ryan? Who, who at Hope Presbyterian Church can I just, just throw abundant love and kindness on today? That's his character. He loves to do it. And when we run, he chases. And when we resist, he pushes harder until he's able to bring us to himself and say, do not fear. I want to show you my kindness. I want to give you an inheritance. I want you to eat at my table. So how do you respond to that kind of kindness? Well, we've said this a few times, right, especially when you're reading a narrative portion of the Bible. It's really important where you see yourself. 
Which character do you identify? And let me just give it away up front. Rarely is it the hero. And in this passage, the person that we're supposed to identify with is Mephibosheth, the weak, the enemy, who's been shown kindness by the king, because that's who we are. This is the story of those of us who have been rescued by Jesus' grace, is that we are weak, we are enemies, and He has come to us, and He has rescued us in His kindness and lavished His kindness upon us. That's who we are. But here's the cool thing, is that once we realize that we're Mephibosheth, we actually want to start acting like David. You get that? Once we realize that we're the one who's been shown kindness, we want to start acting like that one who's shown us kindness. We want to actually show kindness to others. We want to start thinking those same thoughts and those words, who is it that I can show kindness to today? Have you ever thought about that? What if you woke up in the morning and had that thought? Who's out there that I can be kind to today? Who can I show God's kindness to today? Who can I just lavish with love and kindness? Boy, wouldn't the world be a better place if everybody got up with that as the first thought on their mind? But that's what we've been called to, isn't it? To be those who are transformed by God's kindness, who then show that kindness to others. In 1982, I think it was, in this little cafe in Sausalito, California, two women were, were drinking coffee, and they were talking about the state of the world and the difficult things that they were watching and hearing all around them and what seemed like just senseless violence that was surrounding them. And one of those women just scrawled down this phrase on her placemat that said, practice random acts of kindness and senseless beauty. It was her response to what she saw as the senseless acts of violence all around her. And that phrase has been picked up, and especially the first part of that phrase, practice random acts of kindness, and you'll see it all over now, right? On t-shirts, crocheted on some pillow. There's a random acts of kindness foundation. There's a website devoted to it. It's all over, and it's wonderful, with the exception of one word, random. Here's how Merriam-Webster's actually defines the word random. Lacking a definite plan, purpose, or pattern. Friends, the kindness that Christians are to show to others is anything but random. We have a very clear, very definite purpose within a very clear, very definite plan of a very sovereign God that we, as those who have been shown the kindness and the mercy of Jesus, would then in return show that to others, that we might practice indiscriminate, abundant incredible, lavish kindness on those around us because of the very definite, very wonderful kindness that we have been shown by Jesus. Will you pray with me that God would enable us to do that even today? Father in heaven, we are grateful to be able to proclaim your kindness to us. It's good just to sit in it for a second and just remember that you you don't treat us like we deserve. You don't treat us like we've earned anything. You don't treat us um, like we oftentimes treat one another. But you are kind, and we are so grateful for that. Lord, transform us. Transform our hearts by your kindness. Let, let that fruit of your Spirit be worked in our hearts that it might pr be produced in our lives that we might show that kindness to the world around us.
We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.